millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Today we've got a crazy nuclear revenge story against somebody that messed with another person's grandmother. We'll get into that in a bit, but first, what happens when you disrupt my wedding? People always talk about how one of the most important days in any person's life is the day they get married. Chances are that even you agree with this. I also strongly agree with this. However, for me, my wedding day was especially special. I know that the wedding is just a day and that a lot more focus should be placed on the marriage after the wedding, but when you've had the childhood that I've had, you'll understand just why I was so particular about my wedding being special, to the point of even hurting someone for it. My parents were in a battle that preceded my birth, and when I was born, I became just another weapon for them. I wonder just how they ended up together. Anyone who had ever met my parents knew instantly that it was so clear that these people were not compatible and that they should have never have been together or had a child together. They broke this rule by not only being together, but insisting on staying married through serial cheating, physical and psychological assault, and constant bickering. Then they added me to that equation. I became not only a punching bag to the both of them, but also a reason for them to stay together which just made everything awful, but especially for me. Sometimes I wonder how I didn't grow up with a serious mental disorder living in that house with the both of them. Everything was a fight and every day was a struggle. My parents basically neglected me. They were too busy fighting with each other to pay me any attention anyway. I had to learn early in life to take care of myself and not be dependent on anyone. To be honest, this still haunts me till this day, even with all the things I had to unlearn. The worst part about my parents' marriage was them using me to punish the other. I could be rolling on the floor starving and rather than feed me, my mom would talk non-stop about how my dad was a deadbeat. Then she'd leave the house to go find him, he was usually at motels with his floozies, and then they'd fight and argue all the way home. The fight would go on for so long that I'd actually just go to bed still hungry. It was this way with school and literally everything else. To call my family dysfunctional was an insult to dysfunctionality. I remember the day I decided I was going to be better. I was 10. I had been helping my neighbor with his lawn for some extra money as my allowance was basically non-existent. That was when I started to think about what I wanted out of my life. Did I want to end up like my parents? Was I going to be just as sad and miserable as they were? How long was I going to let them define my life and weigh me down? These were some pretty hard thoughts for a 10 year old, but like I said before, I grew up pretty fast. I decided there and then that I'd do everything in my power to never end up like my parents. I started to form a plan for my life. For one, I was never going to get married, ever. There was so much more that I could achieve without having to worry about someone else who could hurt me the same way my parents hurt each other. I didn't care what I'd be missing out on, I just never wanted to be like my parents in any way or form and that included getting married. The second thing that I decided was going to be a defining part of me was that I was going to be successful. I was going to excel in any way that I could and move out of my parents' home. The sooner I achieved financial freedom, the sooner I could do that. 
So I started with my plan, and it seemed to work out just great. I focused on school as much as I could and became one of the top students in class. Getting my parents to pay for college was basically not even a possibility, so I decided that my best option was to try to get a scholarship into college. I was very certain that the moment I left home for college, I'd be independent enough to never have to live with my parents again. Throughout this time, I avoided dating. To be honest, it wasn't easy. Every once in a while, I'd have a crush on someone, and I'd have to pretend like I had absolutely no interest in them, even if they seemed to like me back. One time in 11th grade, one of my classmates, Bella, looked me in the eye and said she knew I liked her and she liked me back. In that moment, I almost let my resolve waver. I actually put my guard down for a moment. I even let her kiss me. However, remembering the promises I made to myself, suddenly withdrew from her, apologized, and left. Then I blocked her number and I ignored the handwritten letters she snuck into my bag. She was so mad at me, she avoided me for the rest of the year, which worked out well for me as it helped me to get over my feelings for her. Out of sight, out of mind, right? In 12th grade, something finally gave and my mom finally filed for divorce. I have no idea what finally made her snap. While I was glad that my parents were finally going to be separated and the messed up union was finally coming to an end, I wasn't really too excited about it all. For one, there was the issue of who would have custody of me. You see, neither of my parents were particularly a nice person to live with. Living apart might perhaps make them better people, but I wasn't very hopeful. I also had to deal with the stigma of being the kid whose parents were having a divorce. Eventually, the court dissolved my parents' marriage, and my mom got the house and custody of me. I, however, was still intent on leaving as fast as I could. I had a plan, and I was going to stick to it. When I finally got the admission and a scholarship at Brown University, I was absolutely over the moon. I was finally free. There was no way I was coming back home. In university, I continued to do well and get excellent grades, and my plan seemed to mostly be going smoothly. I never went back home, and I never dated. I poured all my energy into making the best grades I could, and working on building a network of value and positivity around me. After I graduated, I got a job working for an accounting firm. I loved my work and I was fully committed to it. I rose in my career pretty fast, and within a few years, I was eyeing a partnership at the firm. After a while though, a sense of sadness and loneliness started to set in on me. I realized that I still had a lot of childhood trauma that I hadn't dealt with properly, and if I didn't work on myself, I would end up sad and alone for the rest of my life. So I did perhaps the wisest thing I could do. I went to work through my problems with a therapist. My therapist was kind and patient with me, and he made me realize that my decision to stay single was made as a reaction to trauma, and that was why, even now, I wasn't happy. If I made peace with myself and then decided that I didn't want to be in a relationship, perhaps then I wouldn't have to deal with the sinking feeling of loneliness. I started to make slow progress. After a while, I even started to date. At first, it was awkward and I usually called things off before I got serious with them. However, I was still proud of myself and the progress I had made. Everything changed when I met Michelle though. In all my years, I for the first time ever felt an emotional connection to someone that I didn't want to let go of. Not for all of the gold in the world. I wasn't afraid to be myself around her and though I was scared of being vulnerable with her at first, 
She broke down all my defenses with love, affection, and her soothing voice. It was very clear that I was in love. All I could think of in my waking moments was her, and when I slept, she was in my dreams too. I was very determined to make this work, and I tried to be the best boyfriend to her that I could be. We did have our occasional disagreements, but for the most part, we were good. As the days turned to weeks, and the weeks turned to months, and the months turned to years, I became more certain that Michelle was the one person I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. This was quite the breakthrough for me. I went from despising anything that had to do with relationships to wanting to get married. So one summer evening, two and a half years after we had met, I went down on one knee and asked Michelle to marry me. She said yes, and that remains one of the happiest moments of my life. It was at this point that my therapist decided that we'd made all the progress that we needed to, and I didn't need his services anymore. I graduated therapy. As Michelle and I's wedding drew closer and the preparations were in high gear, I started contemplating whether or not I wanted my parents at my wedding. I had barely seen any of them since I left home, and I started to wonder if it would be a good idea to have them there. Eventually, I decided it would be a little unfair if I got married without them even knowing about my wedding. I sent them the invites, but I secretly hoped that they wouldn't show up. Neither of them contacted me, so I assumed that, just like I thought, they wouldn't be there. We finished prep for the wedding, and then at last, it was the day of Michelle and I's wedding. I was so nervous, I was shaking, but I knew I didn't want anything more in my life, so I took deep breaths and kept reminding myself that I was making the right decision. As I stood at the altar waiting for my bride, I scanned through the attendees for my parents. They weren't there. I didn't mind though. Soon, Michelle walked down the aisle and the ceremony began. At the point where the priest asked if there was anyone who had any reason we shouldn't get married, I heard my mom shout loud and clear, I do. I turned to face her. She must have walked in at some point during the ceremony because she was standing at the back with her hand raised. I wondered what it was she was going to say. She went on a whole rant about how I was a horrible person and an even worse son, about how I'd abandoned her and if Michelle let me marry her, I'd abandon her too. As she spoke, she slurred some of her words. She was drunk. When she was done speaking, the priest decided that it would be best to see him in his office to discuss what had just happened. In the meantime though, the scandal my mother had created had caused the guests to mutter and murmur. When we got to the priest's office, I apologized and had to explain that the relationship between my parents and I weren't great. Michelle knew that my mom's outburst had upset me, and she tried to soothe and pacify me. I was, however, so pissed that the only thing on my mind at that point was how to get back at my mom. The priest insisted that the wedding could not proceed immediately, and it would be best to try to resolve this quickly. I, however, had other things in mind. See, when I was young, my mom had worked at the local post office. I knew for a fact that she was on the payroll of some pretty sketchy crooks. Let's just say that they were using the post office to move certain illegal merchandise, and they paid my mom and a couple of other workers to look the other way. I decided that if she wanted to ruin my life, I could just as easily ruin hers. I contacted the police and FBI with my claims and evidence to back it up, mostly photos. I did this anonymously, of course, but I expected them to take it seriously. They did. Within a week, they had started investigating my mother. In another week, they had arrested her and had charged her for a plethora of crimes. 
To be honest, it hurt a bit to see my mom in cuffs, but whatever sadness I felt watching her get arrested was very quickly replaced with the joy at the knowledge that she was paying not only for messing up my wedding, but for the emotional and physical abuse I suffered from her growing up. It was a long time coming, but she was finally getting what she deserved. My dad, on the other hand, was nowhere to be found. I wish I could make him pay too, but right now, I guess one out of two is good enough. My mother was convicted of the charges against her and was sentenced to 10 to 15 years in a federal penitentiary. Three weeks after our wedding was crashed by my mom, Michelle and I finally said our vows and got married. I doubt she knows I'm responsible for my mom's arrest and prosecution. If she suspects anything, she's not showing it at all. I wish I could say that I regret what I did to my mom, but I honestly don't. If I had the choice, I'd probably do it again. In a way, it helped me heal a little more, gave me some closure. Perhaps it was a good thing she showed up to that wedding and tried to ruin things for me. I seriously hope that when she gets out, she stays away from my wife and I. So in a situation like this where you're at the wedding and somebody does actually object, is it that common for them to actually shut the wedding down and not go forward with it? Like I swear I've heard stories of people who did have people object and most times they're honestly like forced out of the room and the wedding just finishes up and they still say their vows and whatnot. That said, our next story is no one messes with my grandmother. When I was three years old, I moved in with my grandmother. My parents had died in a horrible accident and as my closest living relative, my grandmother got custody of me. I barely remember my parents. I know more about Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Storytime is sponsored by BetterHelp. Nearly everyone at some point in their life will struggle with their mental health, whether that's something stressful at work, in a personal relationship, or something else. I know that I really struggled with anxiety in my early 20s, and therapy was a massive help for me. That's why I'm a massive fan of therapy, and today's sponsor, BetterHelp. If there is anything in your life, big or small, that is negatively affecting you, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. It's an online therapy service that, after finishing a small questionnaire, will match you with a licensed therapist, where you can book appointments that match up with your schedule at any place or any time. And if you feel like you're not bonding with your therapist, you can switch at any point for free. Also, therapy isn't just if you're struggling with mental health. If you're looking for guidance or ways to improve your social skills, life, or relationships, it's a great judgment-free way of doing that. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com storytimepod today to get 10% off your first month. 
That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash StorytimePod. Them from pictures and videos of them from when they were alive. They seemed to be really cheerful, happy people. They had a lot of fun, and from what Grandma said, they were very kind people. They not only donated to multiple charities, they very regularly also volunteered at the local soup kitchen. Daddy had come from a lot of money and had also made a fair amount of his own money, but he believed that society and the government should focus more on providing for everyone. He believed that a society that had its wealth concentrated in just a small percent of the population was bound for doom. He was what you would call a socialist. He had met my mom in college, and they had similar views on a lot of things, including social and economic ideology. They had hit it off instantly, and they'd gone on to date and get married. My mom herself was an orphan, but my dad's family had accepted her as one of them. Certainly, there were a few family members who disliked her, including one of my dad's uncles, who had told her she was a gold-digging communist, to her face. For the most part, though, my mom and my dad's family got along really well. My paternal grandmother, however, loved her perhaps the most. Grandma said my dad always joked that she loved my mom even more than him. So it was no real surprise when upon my parents' demise, she insisted on taking care of me. My parents may have been wonderful people, but it was grandma I knew. In fact, till I was seven, I called her mummy. Grandma was sweet and kind and she always told me to pursue my dreams no matter what anyone else told me. I followed her everywhere and she proudly introduced me to everyone. Grandma was fairly wealthy, and my parents had left me a pretty big inheritance. Though, of course, I had no access to it until I was 21, and Dad's lawyer held it in a trust for me, so I was pretty comfortable and never really lacked. Grandma still insisted that I volunteer at the soup kitchen, just like my parents did. She also made sure I hung out with regular people. She said that the last thing she wanted was to raise a snooty snub. It was clear she wanted to give me a wide view of the world so I could not only be knowledgeable, but also empathetic to the plight of others. So she taught me about all sorts, like colonialism and slavery and disability and a lot of other stuff that most people say as uncomfortable. As the years went on, I remained close to my grandmother, but I also started to have a lot of other friends too. One thing that my grandmother wasn't particularly happy with was that I insisted on going to a public school. She had planned that I would attend the same high school my dad attended. Heck, she expected me to also go to Princeton too, just like him. However, I wanted a taste of the public school system, and when I got it, I loved it. It was sort of rough at times, and it took me a while to adjust to it, but I don't regret my decision to not go to a private school. The one pro of attending a public school was that you get to meet a ton of interesting people. I tried as much as possible to hide the fact that I was rich from everyone so I'd get the chance to at least make some genuine friends. And so I met who would go on to be my best friend, Drake. Drake was this nerdy little guy who got picked on a lot by bullies. They'd threaten him and have him do their assignments for them. Drake was quite timid, so he usually just did as he was told. At first, I decided not to get involved in whatever was going on between the bullies and Drake. But after one event where Drake was shoved against a locker for forgetting a bully's homework at home, I decided that enough was enough. The next time I saw one of the bullies, a burly dude named Chris, try to intimidate Drake, I walked right up to Drake, grabbed him by the arm, and started to walk away. Chris got offended and became confrontational. I faced him squarely and said nothing. 
You'd probably think that I had some sort of trump card up my sleeve. Perhaps I'm a karate master who was waiting for Chris to attack before beating him up. Or perhaps I embarrassed him somehow. The truth is, I had nothing up my sleeve but a bluff. I stood there staring right into Chris's eyes, unflinching. For a second, it looked like he wanted to hit me, but he seemed to think better of it. The moment he broke eye contact with me, I knew I had won. He looked around him, stared daggers at Drake, and simply walked away. After Chris left, I asked Drake if he wanted to have lunch with me. He nodded enthusiastically. Since then, Drake and I sat together for lunch every single day. We started to talk, and then a beautiful friendship started to bloom. With me beside him, the bully stopped harassing him. Since Drake was pretty smart, we studied together a lot, and he actually helped me get my grades up. Drake was the first person from school that I actually took home with me, with his parents' permission of course. When he saw where I lived, he was really shocked. I swore him to secrecy that he won't tell anyone about the fact that I was rich. As time went on, we became closer and closer to the point where grandma would even ask him to come with us when we were going to the cinemas or out to lunch. He became a sort of adopted grandson. Drake really was a nice person, and together we started to plan the future that we wanted for ourselves. I had started to lean towards the ideologies of my parents. Drake, on the other hand, was a big fan of capitalism as he believed that it bred innovation. Our differing beliefs didn't affect our friendship though, and it only made for some very interesting discussions, which my grandmother approved of. Things were great between us and things stayed mostly the same. In the 11th grade, things started to change. Drake started to like a girl, Heather. Heather had been our classmate for a while and she was really pretty. There were a ton of people interested in Heather, but for as long as we all knew, she had been dating another guy in our class named Malik. Now, in the first month of 11th grade, Heather and Malik broke up and she was once again available. A lot of the guys had been waiting for this, including apparently Drake. Drake talked about nothing but getting a chance to talk to Heather. I was starting to get worried that he was probably obsessed with her. I really didn't see the hype around Heather, but I decided to be a good friend and be a wingman to my friend. I approached Heather one day after school and I told her I wanted to see her in private. We went into an empty class and then I told her that my friend Drake was interested in her and would like to take her out sometime. She seemed a little disappointed after I spoke. When I asked what was wrong, she said that she had hoped that I wanted to ask her out. A bit embarrassed, I apologized and said I was just trying to help Drake since he seemed to like her a lot. After a bit of thinking, she decided that she'd honor with Drake. When I told Drake about what I had done, he was shocked but also excited. However, when he went on the date, they came back to report that she had seemed distracted the whole time and she had spent the entire evening on her phone. I knew that she obviously wasn't into him, so I tried my best to break it to him softly. Drake was in denial though and insisted that all he needed was a second better date. I decided not to push things. The way I reasoned, eventually he'd see that she wasn't into him and he'd lose interest. What I did not expect Drake to do was invite Heather over to my house when I went to the community center in an afternoon. Apparently he was really trying hard to impress her. Grandma had been around so it wasn't like he was home alone with her, but Drake had gone on to expose where I lived to someone else and I was a little upset with him because of that. Over time, I forgave him though. Things started to get interesting after that though. I noticed that Heather started to try to hang out with me. She started following me around and one time even showed up unannounced to my house. 
I knew what she was up to, and I told her politely that I simply wasn't interested in her, but she was unrelenting. She started to leave me letters and I'm pretty sure she joined the chess club just so she could have an excuse to be around me. Of course, the entire time, Drake knew what was going on. By this time, his crush had started to fade so he was, if anything, a little irritated by Heather trying to force herself on me. The second time Heather showed up to my house uninvited, I absolutely lost my cool. I got really upset and told her to leave. She seemed really shocked, but she left. After that, she went for endearing to scorned. At first, she totally ignored me and would avoid me at all cost, which was honestly a relief to me. Then she started to spread rumors about Drake and I, but we didn't really care. When she crossed the line was when she attacked my house. Drake had been chilling over at my place when we heard thuds on the window. When we went to check out what it was, we saw a masked person was out on the lawn, pelting the house with eggs and stones. My grandmother, who was in the kitchen, opened the window to confront the person, and right as she did, she got hit right in the head with a stone. She fell. The masked vandal gasped and exclaimed, Oh no, and they ran away. My first priority was making sure that grandma was okay. She wasn't. She'd been hit pretty hard and passed out. I immediately picked up the phone to call 911. The entire time we waited for the ambulance to arrive, I was extremely scared. Grandma was all I had. I couldn't bear the thought of anything happening to her. I cried and I prayed and I hoped that she would be fine. Thankfully, she didn't sustain any serious injury, and after a short treatment by EMTs, she was fine. Once I was certain that Grandma was fine, I decided to focus on the next thing in my mind, because I was very certain that the voice I'd heard say, oh no, was Heather's. I'd let people do almost anything to me, even to the point of physical attack. Where I draw the line is when someone attacks someone I love, especially if that's grandma. This entire time, I'd ignored Heather and her antics. Now I was sick and tired of it, and she was going to get what she deserved. One good thing about having money is that you have access to a lot of resources, even if those resources are in the pursuit of getting someone in trouble. I found a guy and bought a brass knuckle and switchblade from him. I also found a guy who sold marijuana and got some for good measure. Of course, these things were not permitted in the school, which is exactly why I brought them in and snuck them into Heather's bag. Then I walked up to the teacher and reported that I'd seen Heather with a switchblade. The teacher escalated things and told us all to leave the class while she and a security guard searched the classroom. They found the weapons and weed in Heather's bag just as I expected them to. Heather was outraged and insisted that she'd been framed, but the evidence showed otherwise. I know she probably suspected me, but she couldn't state why she'd thought I'd try to frame her without getting herself in trouble too, so she wisely kept her mouth shut. Thankfully, the school decided not to get the police involved. However, they did expel her from the school. That alone was a big win. The thing about getting expelled is that it goes on your permanent record. There was no way she was going to get over that easily. Her chances of getting into a lot of colleges was already ruined. I decided that that wasn't enough for me though. It wasn't enough that I get my payback. I needed her to know I had done it. I got a disposable email address and I mailed her. I tried not to be specific with things like names so the email couldn't be traced back to me. I told her that I know what she had done and what she got back was a fair reward for it. I also told her that if she attempted to come after me or anyone I know, I'd do a lot worse than that. 
I don't know if she saw it or not, but so far, I haven't seen or heard from Heather since. Good for her. Do I regret what I did? A little bit, honestly. The thing is, though, that I'm really protective of my grandmother. Anybody who comes for her won't get away scot-free. It's annoying, really. The fact that none of what happened would have happened if Heather had just taken rejection well and didn't see the need to react negatively to the point of throwing eggs and rocks at my house. Perhaps sometime in the future, reach out to apologize, but right now, I stand by what I did. If somebody goes and starts egging and throwing rocks at your house and ends up incapacitating your grandmother who you care about deeply, I mean, obviously you can't morally say OP was right here for getting them expelled and placing that stuff on them. But like, you kind of understand why they did it. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now, if you want to hear another crazy revenge story, check out that video on the left. Or if you missed my latest video, check out that video on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.